0: Well, today we're finishing up this little series on de-stressing during a season of distress. And so I thought it would be entirely appropriate for us to spend a little time just thinking about or asking the question, is it possible that God sends storms and that maybe storms are things that we don't just need to make it through? Maybe God has a plan in the midst of the storm. Maybe he wants to see something happen. And I I really do believe that always in the midst of the storms that we face, in the midst of the difficulties, when it seems like we're going to go under, God always wants to see the same thing. What he wants to see in the midst of your distress is repentance. And I don't mean by repentance self-loathing. Okay. So let me explain what I do mean. As I set up the text and the message, I want you to understand we're not talking about self-loathing when we talk about repentance. Let me give you a personal illustration. This is something I think most of us here can identify with. When you saw COVID sort of hit the news, probably most of you, if you're like me and a lot of other people, you started watching the stocks. I never paid attention to the stock market, never paid attention to my, you know, uh, an annuity mutual funds until covid hit which if you're going to start watching stocks that's probably the worst time to stop, start watching the stock market and so i'm seeing it go like this and like many of you in that moment you can do one of two things you can stand over here and go oh no why me and 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 then you can stand over here on the other end of the spectrum and you can say god thank you thank you that i have money to lose Thank you that I have a portfolio that I can watch. Thank you that, that we have things called Social Security and parents and children who are retirement funds. Thank you, God, that I've got friends. Thank you that I'm not totally dependent on this. Thank you for the reality that most of the time things bounce back. Over here, you're, you're seeing, essentially, you're seeing God in the light Or rather, you're seeing God in the dark shadows of your circumstances. And then over here, you're seeing dark circumstances in the glorious light of God. Over here, largely, you're centered on yourself as if the whole universe revolves around you. And over here, you're taking a a bigger view and you're seeing that actually the universe doesn't center around you. It centers around God. Repentance is essentially moving from over here to moving over here. It's not just about identifying a particular and oh, self-loathing and all the rest. It's about, it's a mind change. That's what the Greek word means. You're you're changing your mind. You're changing your whole perspective. Okay, let me give you another illustration. Uh, Just this last Wednesday, I got a call in the morning from my mom, and she explained that my dad had had these pains in his chest, like deep in his bones, and he'd not been sharing this with anybody. But he was at the doctor getting a follow-up on his knee replacement surgery and just told the doctor about it. And the doctor essentially said, we need to run tests because, well, you know, this could be cancer. And so mom tells me this Wednesday morning. And I'm just thinking, I always go to the worst-case scenario because that's the way I I deal with things. So I just think, okay, because I want to start there and work backwards. And so I go, okay, what's the worst that could happen? My dad could have cancer, he could die very soon, and mom's going to be alone. And uh and then she's gonna be single for the first time in over half century, and then all of these bachelors are gonna hit on her and then I'm gonna have to punch these seventy five to eighty five year old men that I've never met before in the face and this is not gonna be real that good and so and I'm okay with that. Okay, so I start with the worst case scenario and work backwards from there. Uh, but here's the thing. It was an opportunity, that moment, that little storm that, that came through, it was an opportunity for repentance. And here's what I mean. I, I don't mean that I was looking for sin in my own life or sin in my mom's life or sin in my dad's life or trying to find out who's responsible for my dad you know, having this potential diagnosis. But it's an opportunity for repentance because over here I have the choice. I have the choice to say, okay, am I going to get angry with God and go, why Why couldn't dad live, you know, another 10 years or 20 years or however they long? How, why can't he have his heart's desire to die with mom at the age of 100 in his sleep? Why God, you know, or I can go over here and go, hey, this is wonderful. God, thank you for the 77 years that you've given my dad. Thank you for a godly legacy. Thank you for the time. Thank you for the blessings that you've given to him and through him. And I know that Jesus is on the other side waiting to receive him. Thank you, God. Over here, I'm seeing the negative circumstance as the shadow that is casting darkness on who God is. Or over here, I'm seeing the negative circumstance only in the light of the glory of God. Repentance is moving from me-centered focus... To a God-centered focus. That's what repentance is. It's not necessarily self-loathing. Of course, there is sin of which we need to repent. But it's a a mind change from moving over here to moving over here. God uses storms to bring us repentance, which we need. Because the reality is this isn't real. The universe doesn't revolve around you. It revolves around me. No, actually, no, that's 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 not how it goes. The universe doesn't revolve around you. It doesn't revolve around me. It doesn't even revolve around we. This isn't real. We need a mind change because this is real. Universe revolves around God. Oh, and by the way, when the universe revolves around God and you see everything in the light of the glory of God, guess what? It's better. It's better to see life that way. You're not deceiving yourself. You're living in reality. And the reality is grace. If everything is a gift from God, it changes your perspective. God uses storms. He's got a plan in the middle of the storm. Now, sometimes the storms are short. Sometimes they're long. Fortunately, with regards to my dad, it was a very short storm. Because by Wednesday afternoon, we had results back from the x-rays. Then they got confirmed by a mammogram. He does not have cancer. So I'm praising God for that. But I would be okay if it were otherwise. Love you, Dad. But we're okay. Because the reality is God's in control. Now, I'm still mad at my mom for wanting to date other men. But that's a, that's a different story. But here, here's the deal. God uses storms to take us from over here to over here. And so how does this help me and how does this help you in your time of distress? Here's how it helps. There's a point in the middle of all this. God can use anything. In fact, God can do in storms what he really doesn't frequently do with spring rains or morning dews. These seasons happen, and we ought to be grateful for them. So this morning what we're going to do is we're going to spend a little time diving in, at least a shallow dive into the depths of God's plan in the middle of the storm. And we're going to do this by turning our attention to one of my favorite books in the Bible. It's probably one of yours. It's the book of Jonah. So let's go ahead and stand out of respect for God who's speaking to us through his word. We're going to read the first chapter. It's not very long. The word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai, go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it because its wickedness has come up before me. And as we see in the book of Jonah, God wants Nineveh to repent. He wants them to turn, move from over here to over here, so to speak. But Jonah ran away from the Lord and headed for Tarshish. Now, Tarshish is 2,000 miles in the opposite direction. It's in Spain on the other end of the Mediterranean Sea. He went down to Joppa where he found a ship bound for that port. After paying the fare, he went aboard and sailed for Tarshish to flee from the Lord. So God has called Jonah to preach a message of repentance, but Jonah is turning away from the Lord and running in the opposite direction. And so you see the irony here? The man who's called to preach the message of repentance needs to receive the message of repentance. It's crazy how that works. Then the Lord sent a great wind on the sea. And such a violent storm arose that the ship threatened to break up. All the sailors were afraid and each cried out to his own God. And they threw the cargo into the sea to lighten the ship. But Jonah had gone below deck where he lay down and fell into a deep sleep. The captain went to him and said, how can you sleep? Get up and call on your God. Maybe he will take notice of us and we will not perish. Then the sailors said to each other, come, let us cast laws to find out who is responsible for this calamity. They cast lots and the lot fell on Jonah. So they asked him, tell us who is responsible for making all this trouble for us. What do you do? Where do you come from? What is your country? From what people are you? He answered, I am a Hebrew and I worship the Lord, the God of heaven who made the sea and the land. This terrified them and they asked, what have you done? They knew he was running away from the Lord because he had already told them so. The sea was getting rougher and rougher, so they asked him, what should we do to make the sea calm down for us? Pick me up and throw me into the sea, he replied, and it will become calm. I know that it is my fault that this great storm has come upon you. Instead, the men did their best to row back to land, but they could not, for the sea grew even wilder than before. Now, these sailors may have been a little rough, but they don't want to kill Jonah. Okay, they're they're decent guys. Then they cried to the Lord, O Lord, please do not let us die for taking this man's life. Do not hold us accountable for killing an innocent man, for you, O Lord, have done as you pleased. Then they took Jonah and threw him overboard, and the raging sea grew calm. At this the, great, the men greatly feared the Lord, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows to him. But the Lord provided a great fish to swallow Jonah, and Jonah was inside the fish three days and three nights. May God bless the reading of his word. You may be seated. Now, in our sin, we do run from God, and God, as the lover of our souls, runs after us and chases after us so as to intercept us and stop us from our self-destructive behavior. And uh, this book is something that everyone here should connect with, the book of Jonah, because in reality, if you're going to understand yourself and if you're going to understand humanity, you have to see that you're not just a troubled person or a hurt person or a frustrated person. You and I, we are runners. We are fugitives from God. And we have these different techniques and uh, individualized approaches for running from God and then hiding from God. We're we're runners. And so in a very real sense, the story of Jonah is just like your story, my story, only we didn't get swallowed alive. But it's a story of running. It's a story of chasing. We're the runners. God's the chasers. And the way in which God chases us down and catches us is he sends these storms. OK, and and we'll get to that in, in just a second. Uh, but here's the story in a, in a nutshell. We just kind of read it. God has told Jonah, go preach to the Assyrians, this ascending world power. Go to the capital city of Nineveh and preach against their violence and against their sin. He wants them to repent. And as we just read, Jonah turns tail and runs and he tries to run away from God as far as he as he possibly can instead of going uh, east Toward Assyria to Nineveh, he heads due west. And so the oddity in all of this is Jonah, who is called to preach repentance, needs himself to repent. So God sends the storm. Now there's a lot in this story that is really interesting. We don't have time to get into all of it. But what we're going to do is we're going to focus on two things in particular. We're going to look at the storm that God sends and we're going to look at the response to the storm because Jonah responds in one way in the beginning of the story and in another way and toward the end of the story. And the way in which we respond to the storm makes all the difference in our lives and all the difference in us comprehending appropriately the reality of the world in which we've been placed. So God sends this violent storm, this hurricane, this killer storm to actually save Jonah. And so right off the bat, here's what I want all of us to recognize and acknowledge. That is... Uh, This is, maybe I'm off here. Oh, here we go. God does not always do things gently, uh, nor in the way we predict. God doesn't do things in the way that we expect or to the degree that we expect. He actually gets really extreme. And the reason he gets so extreme with Jonah is... Jonah is not at this point qualified to do what it is that God has called him to do. He needs to he's been called to preach grace and sin, but you cannot give what it is that you haven't received. You can't appropriately communicate grace and sin until you understand personally grace and sin. And a lot of people say, well, I understand sin, but if I don't understand grace. If you don't understand grace, you don't understand sin. They actually are, are thoroughly necessary for one another. And you say, well, how do you know that he doesn't understand grace, even though he's supposed to preach grace, which is at the heart of repentance and turning around? Well, here's how I know that he doesn't understand grace. Bes- besides the fact that he runs from God, he is absolutely abandoning the Assyrians. And it's not simply because he's afraid of them. They're scary people. But he hates them. He lives in the northern part of Israel. He likely knows people who have been killed, who've been who've been tormented, who've been taken away into slavery because the Assyrians have raided into the northern part of Israel. He hates the Assyrians, and we have a tendency to feel superior to those that we hate, and we hate those to whom we feel superior. Or Put a little bit differently, to the degree you feel superior to other people, to that degree you think your standing with God is a standing that you earned out of your own merit. And what you have to see, and what I have to see, is that everything is a free gift, that everything is grace, because until you get to that point, there's going to be condescension, which is exactly why, when it comes to healing our nation, it's not going to do, it's not going to do for us to try to simply address, address on a superficial level, structural changes, because what has to happen is the structure of the soul has to be entirely remade, because what What Jonah is suffering from here is a racism. What he's suffering from here is a a judgment. In some degree or another, he feels that he is superior to these other people because of his religious commitments, his religiosity, his particular morality, or maybe his racial pedigree. But he is absolutely condescending. And when you are condescending, you do not understand your own sin and you do not understand grace. But God is so interested in bringing A message of repentance, a message of sin and grace to the Ninevites, that God is going to do whatever he can do to get that message into Jonah's heart. And sometimes the only way to get it into somebody's heart is to drive it in through a storm. And if there's anything that I've learned from personal experience in my life, it is that God is relentless in his desire to press into you and to press into me this personal Full understanding of sin and grace, because you will not be able to communicate appropriately in your actions or in your words if you have not received fully grace. So if you're anything like me, God's probably taken you through some storms in your life. And what you've probably learned through those storms is that you thought you understood grace, but you were only superficially exposed to grace. And when you came out the other side, if you responded appropriately to what it is that God was trying to do, you understood grace in a whole nother way that took you to another level and your ability to communicate it appropriately with other people. That's exactly what God is doing with Jonah, because until you see that you totally need grace to run your life. You're not competent to run your life. And you're certainly not competent to represent God. And so what does God do with Jonah? He does what is called an intervention. Now, you know what an intervention is, right? An intervention is when, and, and Alcoholics Anonymous popularized this, and, and, and hopefully uh, right, or, rightly so, What you do is you have some friends and they they identify a friend who's got some addiction issues and they'll take that friend, basically put him in a corner, surround him with love and they'll say you're flawed. You are are weak. Your life is messed up and you don't even know how much and sometimes when you're messed up everybody else can see it and you're the last one to know and the friends, they they really love you. They sit you down and say you've got a choice to make. You're either going to have to admit your radical need and your weakness or you're going to die. You're going to kill your family. You're going to kill your business. You're going to kill your life. Make a choice. Now, if you've ever been a part of an intervention, you recognize it is not a pleasant experience for anybody. It's not a pleasant experience for the person on the receiving end. It's not a pleasant experience for the person on the giving end. But God is perfectly willing to go there. You know why? Because he loves you. And he cares about you. Oh, and he also happens to care about everybody else that your life necessarily impacts And the way that those interventions happen are going to be through these storms. And always, 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 God has to get rougher with us than we think that we necessarily needed him to be. That's just the way that it works. If you're anything like me, you get confronted about about your weakness or your need. And and if you're like a a typical alcoholic, which we we are, our response is, oh, okay, I'm fine. I'm doing fine. I can quit anytime I want to. It's really not that big a deal. Trust me, I've turned the corner. Ninety nine percent of the time we think we're telling the truth, but we're actually lying to ourselves. And God has to get harder on us than we necessarily anticipate. Now, for some of us, it looks like this. I'll just give you an example. For some of you, you, you thought, I need to have this particular goal. I need to achieve this. And if I get this, my life's going to come together. You didn't get what it was that you thought that you needed for your life to come together and for your life to be complete. And God used that to essentially say, yes, you were a lot weaker and a lot more flawed and a lot more troubled than than you thought. And you are in need of grace just like everybody else because you have sin just like everybody else. And the reality is, if you're trying to run your life, if you think you can run your life, you think you're all that in a bag of chips and all the rest, if that's where you're coming from, if you think you're competent, you're not competent to run your life and you're certainly not competent to communicate and represent me. So God does an intervention with Jonah. He sends a storm. But here's the thing about storms. Storms that God sends don't necessarily make every person good and wise, do they? You still have to respond appropriately to the storm that, that God sends. Because your response to the storm, you can put the next slide up, your response to the storm is what will make you or break you. Your response will make you softer or harder, wiser or more foolish. Some of you, you went through some difficulties before, and, and if you were honest, you would say, yeah, yeah, okay, Ernest, I am bitter. I'm not like you. I'm bitter. And, uh, and the reality is, the reason I'm bitter is because so-and-so did this, or this or that happened in my life. And let me just tell you something. You're bitter, not because so-and-so did something, or this or that happened to you. You know the reason you're bitter? Because you didn't forgive. So and so's actions or this or that happening was the occasion for your bitterness. It's not the cause of your bitterness. You had a storm and you didn't respond appropriately to your storm. I hate to put it to you like that way, but it's, it's true. I know. I've been there. How you respond to the storm makes all the difference in the world. It'll either make, it'll either strand you on a deserted island or it can give you incredible depth and wisdom and and love. How you respond matters. And so the question is, okay, how do we respond? The storm comes. How does Jonah respond? Well, you see, Jonah actually responds in a couple of different ways. In verses 1 through 4, he responds differently. He's over here in verses 1 through 4. He gets this word from God, and it's like, that's a terrible assignment, God. You don't know what you're doing. That's his response. Somewhere along the line, by the time you get to the end of the chapter, Jonah has changed his attitude uh, tremendously. He has moved from over here to over here. So what happens? Okay, let's get into that because if we want to de-stress in a time of distress, we need a pattern, we need a path. And Jonah shows us a good pattern or a good path to follow. So here's what happens to Jonah. Okay, he's on the ship. The sailors are wondering what's going on, who's at fault here. And uh, they come to Jonah and say, what, what do you think, what's going on? And Jonah, without hesitation, admits, it's my fault. Cast me overboard. And the storm will calm down. It's my fault that this storm is coming upon you. Now, this is this is wonderful. There's a there's a, a clarity and excuse-free repentance, and we'll get into the nature of this in just a second. But what's so interesting in uh, in this movement for Jonah, in in my opinion here, is that he acknowledges, hey, the rest of you guys in the boat in the ship, you're you're suffering because of me. Jonah knows it's not just about his own life. He admits, this whole ship is threatening to break apart because of my actions. The storm is following me, but you're going to get killed if you're not careful, if you don't throw me overboard. In fact, uh, even beyond that, probably if there's any other ships in the area, in the Mediterranean, they're suffering from the same hurricane because the storm is following after Jonah, and Jonah recognizes his life is tied to other people's lives, and this storm that is blowing in over his life is hurting other people around him. And you say, well, that just doesn't seem fair, does it? That the other sailors and all the other people in the area are suffering because of Jonah's sin? That's not fair. No, it's not. But what does fair have to do with anything? Really? I mean, I don't want to be so straightforward, but I can't help myself. It's... What does fair have to do with it? It is what it is. We all acknowledge that some children are going to succeed or fail largely Because of the positive or negative influence of a parent or parents. Is that fair? It's just what it is. A team will win or lose on the basis of a good call or a bad call from one coach or a good play or a bad play from just one player. Is that fair? It's just what it is. An entire city can rise or an entire city can fall on the basis of one terrorist act or one heroic act. Is that fair that that sin comes the, the consequences of somebody's sin comes blowing over your life, and you had nothing to do with any of that is is that fair i don 't we 're not talking about fair it 's what it is, and it doesn 't really seem fair, but that 's how it is and most of us in this room have been hurt, have been uh, wounded, have been terribly frustrated, if not outright angry, because you suffered from the decision. Of somebody else and they weren't thinking about you at all. We're all connected. Uh, Jesus was kind of asked about this on another occasion. This is over in uh, Luke chapter thirteen. If you want to look it up some other time or after the service, perfectly do that. In Luke chapter thirteen, some disciples come to Jesus and, and they ask Jesus this question When the tower of Siloam fell, were the people that got crushed worse sinners than the rest? Were they worse? And now we don't know anything about this tower. We don't have news, newspaper clippings of it. It was just, okay, a tower fell, it happens, buildings fall. So the people that got crushed, when it fell over here and it killed these people, were these people over here worse than these people over here? And Jesus emphatically says, no. But unless you repent, you will likewise perish. What Jesus is saying is, you don't get what you deserve in life. Deserve didn't have anything to do with that. So repent. Why should I repent? Well, because you're actually getting better than what you deserve. Now, th- this isn't to say in the short term we don't get things that we don't deserve. Okay, did did you deserve that person to gossip against you? Did you deserve for your dog to get run over or whatever? Like, well, no. Things happen in the short term that we didn't deserve. But in the long term, none of us get what we deserve. You know what we what we deserve? We, we deserve to be erased. <laughs> Here, here's what the Bible lays out for you and me. You're getting treated better than you deserve. You got created by God and you're being sustained moment by moment by God. And as your creator and sustainer, here's what, what you owe Him, and here's what I owe We owe him our entire allegiance and all of our love. Do we give it to him? Absolutely not. We don't love God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. We don't love our neighbor as ourself. And these are people that God cares about as well. And, and, and on the basis of the fact that we have essentially disregarded God and disregarded the people that, that God loves, what is it that we, re- we, we receive? Well, what we deserve is to be raised. And we are so glad that we don't get what we deserve, that God is incredibly merciful to us because he gives us life and he gives us beauty and he gives us joy and he gives us chances and wonderful opportunities and experiences of life. We get better than what we deserve on the whole. So in the Bible, the big question is not, well, how can God allow suffering? No, the, the big question is, in light of how we disregard God, in light of how we disregard people, and Jonah disregards God, he knows what God wants him to do, he disregards and blows them off, heads in the opposite direction. In light of how we disregard God and how, in light of how we disregard other people, he's called to preach the message of repentance to the Ninevites. In light, he's disregarding the people on the ship that's with him. In light of how we disregard God, in light of how at best we treat God and other people as butlers and maids or maybe props on the stage and we're the center of it. In light of the way that we respond over here as if the whole universe revolves around me, it's... Why would God continue to give me life and beauty and joy and chances? That's the big mystery. And until you press that perspective into your heart, you're not living in keeping with reality. Because this isn't reality. This is reality. And and under the grace of God, we are getting, on the whole, better than we deserve. Absolutely, we are. And it begins to dawn on Jonah. He starts to get it. And you say, well, how does he start to get it? Because he gets to this point and says, okay, just throw me overboard. Because here's the reality. I'm not just a person who's troubled. I don't, I'm not just a person who has problems. I'm the problem. I've disregarded God. And I've disregarded you. I haven't loved God with all my heart, soul, mind, and strength. I haven't loved my neighbors as myself Not even close. Jonah's like, I'm the prophet. And I'm living as if God doesn't exist. And practically speaking, even for those of us who are believers, we we slip into a practical atheism. And and yet still God blesses us and blesses us and blesses us. We get more than what we deserve. But until you get that, until you see that, until, until you do a mind change, the repentance, you're not living in step with reality and you'll be a really bitter person because you'll think that you're constantly being ripped off and that you're not getting enough out of life and that God isn't good enough to you. This is, not, this is not just unreality. This is a really unhealthy way to look at the world. But Jonah starts to get it. And, and here's where we get to the heart of what real repentance is. Jonah begins to see God. He's, he, he stops thinking about himself so much, or even his sin. Here's how he puts it. He says, I'm a Hebrew, and I worship the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the land. He doesn't fo- focus so much on himself. And that's real repentance. Because real repentance is different than like this, what the sailors do. You know what the sailors do? They come to, to Jonah and they essentially say, What can we do to get out of this mess? What can we do so that the, the, the storm is going to calm down? For us. How do we get out of this mess? They're, it, they're willing to do whatever they want to do. I mean, they're, they're willing to do whatever it takes. They'll pray to their own gods. They'll pray to the real God. They'll bend a knee. They'll cast lots. They'll sacrifice. You know, They're open to whatever because they're about to die. But the essential question is, how do we get out of this mess? How, how can we get this storm to stop beating down on us? How do we save ourselves still living over here? And real repentance hasn't happened as long as you're still focused on yourself and your mess. And so I I don't know where everybody necessarily is coming from, and I really don't know who's out there watching, but it is entirely possible that you've tuned in for the first time today and you're going, wow, does he always talk about sin and repentance? Yeah. Uh, But here's the thing. If you, if you're turning, if you're tuning in you've been watching for a while and you're thinking, well, the, the reason I got so desperate earnest as to watch you is because I'm in a mess and I want to get out of the mess. And if that's where you're coming from, I want, I'll do anything to get out of this mess. I'll even go to church online. I'll even read my Bible. I'll even talk to God. Well, that's good. I'm glad you're willing to do whatever you, you can do, but you haven't repented yet. That's, that's not the beginning of it. You, you have to get to the point where it's not about you anymore. I never watched The Good Wife. Maybe it was good, maybe it was bad. I don't know. It had seven seasons. I'm too busy trying to keep up with SEAL Team, you know, something real, okay? So, uh, but, so I'm not dogging on if you ever watched The Good Wife. I actually came across this wonderful, uh, I don't know, dialogue in uh, an episode from season one. Uh, The Good Wife has this, this character. His name is, uh, Peter. I have to read this because I didn't watch it. Peter Florick. And uh, he is a former state's attorney who went to prison for eight months because of a sex scandal. He gets out after serving time, and he's trying to revive his political career. And he's also trying to reconcile with his wife, Alicia. So there's a scene in one episode from season one where, where Peter, along with a couple of assistants of his, they go to this pastor's, Pastor Isaiah, apparently a prominent a black pastor and he and peter goes to the pastor and says i need your spiritual counsel and uh, pastor isaiah says you you want to use me right and here's the rest of the dialogue peter answers honestly yes it looks good if i'm embraced by you our polling numbers are below par with african-american women so is this the latest scheme mr Florrick? brutal honesty I know you think I'm just a shallow, narcissistic politician. You know what? I agree with you, but I have been in prison for the last eight months. I've been away from my family, from my life. I've seen everything I've built turn to dust. Pastor Isaiah responds sarcastically, until one day you found the glorious words of the gospel. I am not a photo op. I can't be charmed. I can't be finessed. I can't be upped. You have done wrong. I know I have. Your marriage is in trouble. I know you think it isn't, but it is because you don't acknowledge true repentance. Tell me what I have to do. Do you love your wife? Yes. Does she love you? I don't know. You, you are sleeping in separate rooms? Yes. Do you believe Jesus died for your sins? Peter pauses uncomfortably again and says, I don't know what that means. Do you want to know what that means? He firmly answers, no. Pastor Isaiah smiles and says, please, God. Make me good, just not yet. And, and I actually like this exchange because I think it's really interesting that whoever the writers were for The Good Wife got it basically right with regards to repentance. Repentance is not repentance when you're still in the center. Repentance isn't repentance unless the Lord is in the center of your repentance. Repentance. And for Jonah, the Lord gets put in the center of his repentance. Look at what he does. He lifts his eyes up. He begins to talk to God. He, he's beginning to take in the greatness of God. He's seeing himself in light of the, the call of God in his life. He's, he's basically looking first and foremost to God. It's not that you don't see circumstances and God over here. You also see God and circumstances over here. It's just that God's up here now for Jonah. This is very similar to a parallel account, I think, a parallel story in the book of Joshua. Uh, it's the story of the sin of Achan. Okay, Joshua is the captain of the army of God, and they're taking the, the the land that God has given to them, the Promised Land. And God is giving them victories in battles. But before the people go into to these battles, God essentially has told them, "Don't take any plunder. Don't take don't take any of the spoils of war for personal profit. Don't do it." So God is going before the people of God and and they're winning all these incredible battles. But then in one of these battles, Achan takes some plunder for himself and he hides it under the floor of his tent. And uh, in the next battle, the people of God, the Israelites, are decimated. It's a devastating defeat. And and somehow, in some way, Joshua discovers what Achan has done. But here's the interesting thing. As with Jonah in the ship, so too with Achan in the camp, the the storm of God's anger blows across the the face of the Israelites and they suffer because of one man's sin. See Jonah in the ship, Achan in the camp. But here's where it gets really interesting. When Joshua comes to call Achan to repentance, to bring him back to where he needs to be, here's what Joshua says. He says, My son, I implore you, give glory to the Lord, the God of Israel, and give praise to him. You see how different that is than than the sailors over here joshua doesn't say man you've made my life difficult now my credibility of, as a leader is shot and all of these little children these babies and these little kids they don't have a dad anymore thanks to you and and these brides aren't they're not going to have a groom and And everybody's heart has just, it's become water and it's just sifted into the sand. And and our whole nation is on the verge of devastation thanks to you. He doesn't go in that direction at all. He's not thinking about the consequences. Joshua's not even thinking about himself. You know what Joshua's thinking about? He's thinking about the glory of God. That's his major concern. He's saying, Achan, don't you see what your sin has done to God? That's how you know it's repentance. Your face is turned toward the Lord. Here's Jonah. Here's my God, he says. My God is the God of heaven and earth. He's the God of land and sea. He's a great God. And that I ever thought I could escape from the omniscient, omnipresent God is ridiculous. That I ever thought that I would get away from it in light of God's omnipotence is is foolish. And I'm a Hebrew. You know what that means? That means I'm one of the people of God that God liberated, that God brought out of bondage." And he brought us out of bondage for a purpose, that we could give glory to God, that we, would, that we would be a light to the nations, to the Gentiles. And here I am in light of who God is and in light of who God has made me to be, and I'm putting a veil over God's face. I'm hiding his excellencies and his virtues. It's not just that I'm not promoting God. I am taking away from his glory. And when he sees who God is, and when he sees who he is in light of God, throw me overboard. That's repentance. Let's see, that the question is, how How do I move from over here to over here? You say, I, I really don't want to be self-centered. I really do want to be more positive and see the world in, in the light of the glory of God. I don't want to have God standing in the shadows. I, I want... All of the circumstances to be in the light of the glorious uh, knowledge of, the, of God in the face of Christ. It, I want to be over here. But how do I do that? Do I just snap my fingers and say, oh, okay, I'm going to stop being a selfish person. Grit my teeth and try harder. No. Jonah just sees something. He sees something. He sees God. Now, that brings us to what I think is just remarkable in terms of the foreshadowing of this text. And we'll end here. I, I want you to see something. It's just it's so beautiful. When Jonah comes to the end of himself, and he he beholds God, and he sees who he is, and it's like, I'm the problem, and he truly, truly repents. In that moment when he throws himself or allows himself to be thrown overboard, and he expects this is going to be the end of his life, he discovers, actually, it's the beginning. What he discovers is that what he thought was going to be death when he took the plunge, it turns out to be an encounter with God's love and provision, because God, in the middle of the storm, had provided this gracious provision for the salvation of Jonah. But until Jonah makes this decision, God, without hesitation, I'm going to follow you wholeheartedly without reservation. I'm going to stop calling into question your will and your direction for my life, and I'm going to do that, and I'm going to serve you. But not only am I going to serve you, I'm going to sacrifice my life For the benefit of other people. And when he makes that decision to love the Lord as God with all his heart, soul, mind, and strength. And when he makes that decision that he's going to love his neighbor as himself. When he makes that decision and he takes the plunge. He discovers in that that moment something he'd never known before. Which was the absolute joy of grace. That God didn't just want to still have something to do with him. That God actually had a plan for his life. And when you take that plunge and you take that step and you discover in that moment of absolute yieldedness and surrender that God actually wants to fill you and use you, it's an extraordinary moment. It's a moment that, of course, Jesus understands because Jesus understood that before the triumph, he plunged himself down. He became obedient even to the point of death, even death on the cross. And he allowed himself to be thrown overboard for the likes of you and me. And in that moment, he found that what looked to be the end of his life, it turns out to have been the great triumph. And he was exalted to the highest place and given the name that was above every other name. And for those of us who are Christians, we understand the story. We understand here's reality. The reality is you go up by going down. You rule by kneeling. You find yourself by losing yourself. You find yourself by making your passion to find the Lord. You, you find fullness in emptying. You, you find peace, ultimately, in the surrender. And whether Jonah recognizes it or not in this moment, which I doubt very seriously he does recognize it, Jesus recognized that Jonah in that moment was showing us the way forward, that he was showing us the way of Christ, Because later on, Jesus will compare himself to Jonah and he will say, for as Jonah was in the belly of a huge fish three days and nights, so the son of man will be the heart in the heart of the earth for three days and three nights. Jesus goes on in that same passage to say one greater than Jonah is here. And so he compares himself to Jonah, but he's greater than Jonah. And here's why Jonah was great, but he was guilty and he offered himself as a substitute for the others that they would be saved Jesus, who is innocent, allowed himself to be thrown overboard into the depths of the wrath of God. And when he he allowed himself to be thrown over, there was no one there to catch him. Utterly forsaken. And yet he did that for you and for me. And so here's the good news in all of this. God has a plan in the storms. You don't have to grit your teeth and just try really hard to get over here. You just need to see something. You need to see God. And God has revealed Himself so beautifully and fully in Jesus Christ because here's what you need to see and here's what I need to see and remember. Jesus Christ is the greater Jonah. And He threw Himself overboard for you and for me. That ought to change the way that you decide to either run away from God in the storm or run to God in the storm. You see Him. I, uh, I came across this on Twitter. You know, I, I tweet. I, don't even, I, I tweet enough to know how to do it, but I don't know what it's called. Tweet. I guess I tweet on Twitter. And I came across this really interesting piece. This was uh, something that was written by uh, Nicole and Walker. It was about her nephew, her six-year-old nephew named Bridger. Some of you may have seen this. I saw it second. Anyways, I saw it on Twitter, and it was like the next day, on July 9th, her nephew saved uh, his sister. Here's what happened. She was uh, about to be attacked. He saw the, this dog charging his sister, and he put himself between his sister and this dog. And this dog went to town on his face, chewing up his face and his head, and when he was able to break away from the mauling, uh, Bridger grabbed his sister's hand and, and ran her to safety. And uh, when I saw the, read the story and uh, see the picture of his face, pardon me says, that's about the most beautiful face you're ever going to see. He got 90 stitches and attention from a, a plastic surgeon. I hope that it heals up, but that picture to me is beautiful because here's what he said. He said, I, I, I thought that if anybody's going to die, it should be me. Now here's the thing. Dogs bite. Storms blow. Towers fall. Economies collapse. Pandemics pan. It happens. But in the middle of whatever it is that you're facing, you need to know you should run to God, you should repent. Because in Christ Jesus, you have a big brother b- better than Bridger. So here's the choice. You, you're in a storm. What are you going to do? Like, only Jesus can steal the storm. But sometimes he chooses not to because it's good for us. Here you are in the middle of your storm, however it is, whatever it is. You've got a choice. You can be like Jonah in the first few verses. Oh, God, I hate this plane for my life. Up yours. I'm getting out of here. And that's just how people are to, to God. And I've seen people in churches turn their back on God. I did communion one time for a lady, and I knew exactly what she was struggling with. And I mentioned the struggle, and she knew I was talking to her. She was only one. And when it was time for communion, she came forward, did not partake, turned around, walked out the church, and never came back. People do that. With the body of Christ and the blood of Christ right there in full view. Not only do I think that's foolish... I think that's really impossible if you see his, his scars, if you see his face. See, the reality is, you have a big brother better than Bridger, and it just doesn't just seem like, well, it's the humble thing to do, to simply repent. If you've seen him throw himself overboard for you, how can you do anything other than repent? So repent. Let's bow for a word of prayer. Father, we thank you so much for the love that you have given us, the grace that you display, and the grace that not only makes some of the storms short, but actually allows them to do their work in us. Because it is a great thing to recognize who you are. It's a great thing to step into reality as it is. It's a great thing to see all of life in the light of your glorious grace. So, Lord, as we're in the midst of our distress, I I, I guess part of my encouragement, I guess, that I need to receive is you've got a plan. And and we have someone to turn to. and, and, and And you're a good God. And, and, and maybe just maybe some of us would even have the guts to say, you take as long as you need to in this storm because we need repentance. Our nation needs repentance. We need a reality check. We need a change of mind. And it just may be that the storm we need is a violent one. And a long one. We don't know. We don't. But we trust you. And we acknowledge. You are a God like no other. The creator of heaven and earth. The Lord over land and sea. A a God who has called us to be your people. Temples of the Holy Spirit. Revealing you. To the nations. And you have also in Christ Jesus revealed that you are our redeemer. You are the ultimate Jonah. And you're even. You're even the one that lives beneath the waves that catches us. You're the the one that swallows us up with your grace. There's no God like you. Help us to trust you as we ought. Help us to turn to you as we should. May your glory and goodness drive us to godly repentance. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.